You're listening to Empath at Work. Come share this space with us as we explore how we harness empathy in life and at work. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Empaths at Work. Uh, This is Katie's voice, and I have a very exciting guest sitting next to me. The guest is my sister, Emily Sprang. We've invited her to come in and chat with us about difficult conversations, how to approach them, how to prepare for them, and really support yourself in that process, and work all the way through, including the response you get back from the person you are having that conversation with. So, Emily, would you like to say hello to everybody? Hello. Excited to be here. So Can't glad to have you. To talk about difficult conversations. Awesome. Something well, I would never say. I can't exactly. wait to talk about Me difficult too. conversations. <laughs> Me too. I'm particularly very interested in today's episode and your thoughts, Emily. Um, I have always avoided difficult conversations. I have no idea how to have them. I think for me at work, I've kind of learned how to have them by taking emotions out of the picture. And that's like a coping mechanism that I found to have worked. Uh, But I remember just after the difficult conversations I've had to had, whether it's to give somebody um, quite critical feedback or um, whether it's to, you know, tell deliver bad news to a manager like you know if I decided to leave I get very very awkward and I tend to rush through it and just because I it's so uncomfortable you want to get it over and done with so I'm super excited to hear about your tips for preparing because you know that never occurred to me is preparing to have the conversation yeah yeah preparing and then I think there's people that over prepare And then that, you know, you can go on either side. Um, But I think they're going to be awkward. Like, they're just going to be awkward. So I think everyone has to accept that first. Um, And then just never get better. (laughs) I I guess you get better at it, but it's. Yeah. I mean, you're going to feel weird and awkward and anxious for the time leading up to it. And then the actual conversation, but then the relief you'll feel afterwards will be way better than feeling anxious for the entirety of that relationship. Yeah. And I think to that point of it being like challenging for you to go through that kind of awkward situation, it's also really hard when it's the first time, right? Because that's a new pattern or new behavior that you're trying to instill. And like, once you practice something, even if it's awkward, like you get better at it and you feel like you can better represent yourself. So like you just got to get you got to start somewhere yeah. or else you're going to live in a place where you feel like you have you're you're limiting yourself from reaching your potential. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess it's kind of like working out because you don't want to do it, but you always <laughs> feel good after it. Yeah. Yeah. I like Very that. True. Before we get to the rest of our conversation, because we definitely jumped right in and got going on what difficult conversations can feel like or look like, I would hate to miss out on our, (laughs) (laughs) Emily's was more like a question, like, ew. (laughs) So Emily, thinking over, you know, your past couple of days or the last week or so, what is a moment when you were empathetic or used empathy in your life or in your work? I spent the last weekend in Columbus with my 
two friends from high school. And so we obviously grew up together and we've visited each other throughout the years. Um, but there was something about this trip where we were just all a lot more vulnerable and we all were being really empathetic and listening and supporting one another. And I think um, it really showed in just the way that we felt after <clears throat> being vulnerable and being there for each other um, and connecting after that. And so that's something that was new for us and weird at times, but it was really nice to be supported in a deeper way by them than I ever had before. I love that. That's awesome. Sounds yeah. like a great weekend. Um, so I think difficult conversations are going to be present in really any kind of relationship, whether that's a work relationship, a friendship, intimate relationship, um, any, any relationship. Um, because anytime we're feeling overwhelmed in one of those relationships is a good indicator that um, a boundary has to be made or a difficult conversation has to be had in order for both parties to continue to feel safe emotionally, mentally, physically in the relationship moving forward. So before we get into the the meat and potatoes of it all, I think it makes a little bit of sense to explain why I invited my lovely sister to join us here on the podcast. And when I was telling her about some of the upcoming episodes we were planning and mentioned that we were going to talk about difficult conversations, she shared that, you know, part of the work that she does as a counselor here in Nashville is really help prepare and support people that she works with in leading difficult conversations or opening up a challenging discussion. And I thought it might be really useful to have some perspective um, from Emily on how you prepare yourself, how you get in the right place mentally so that you're supported and you feel like you're able to do this successfully. So not only is she my sister and I love her very much, but she's also helped me walk through and prepared for many or a few challenging, difficult conversations that I've had. That was a I love that. really good summary of <laughs> what they can look like. Yeah. So it's not just, it's not just, you know, at work, like talking about, I want a promotion or I'm not feeling valued as a member of this team or X, Y, or Z. And it's not just life. Like I'm not feeling supported or heard, or I'm feeling whatever lost in this situation. It's all of it. Yeah. If you, if you're wanting to be vulnerable in the relationship because then otherwise you wouldn't really be having the conversation ah so if you're wanting to be vulnerable so is that is that a requirement i guess is my question for having difficult conversations i know you know it's it's what you need to do if you want to be authentic in the relationship mm -hmm. but at work, right, um, some of the examples of difficult conversations that I've had to lead are, you know, giving critical feedback or in, in certain, you know, in certain moments, even letting somebody know that, you know, it's looking like they're not a great fit or their strengths are not mm. a good fit for the role. Um, and expectations of the role or expectations within the team. And 
just wondering, you know, it, it's obviously upsetting if, if I'm going to put myself in their shoes. It's, it's a very difficult thing to hear. Um, so I would just as a coping mechanism to not get too far and being empathetic and and feeling the weight of the in, the the message that I'm trying to deliver I just remove emotion mm-hmm. out of it and I make it very sort of outcome you know problem statement and mm-hmm. sort of yeah. solutions and then like best outcome kind of framework yeah no that makes that makes sense to me I think for me when I th- hear the word difficult that feels very vulnerable Mm. um Mm. i feel like if something's difficult you're like having to open yourself up a little bit to be able to take in that feedback they have to be able to open themselves up like vulner vulnerable feels like exposed a little bit Um, at least when I think about it. So I think that a lot of people take the emotion out of it, at least communicating what their emotion is. Um, I mean, I think the emotion can show up in their tone and their body language and other ways, but I think that's used as a coping mechanism um, to help you feel like you're not expressing emotion. Mm but I think you're still kind of doing the same thing. Like you're still expressing and being vulnerable with your body. You're communicating with other parts of you. Yeah. Um, And I think, I don't know. I, I guess when you think about something that's difficult, um, like what emotions come up for you? is it uncomfortable at all? Or is it something that you've become comfortable with or like that's just the norm? Yeah, no, it's absolutely uncomfortable for me. Um, I would say it gives me a lot of anxiety. Um, also because I I can always try and find, because positivity is one of my strengths, <laughs> I can always try and find like the silver lining yeah. in every situation. I get anxious whether a am i able to show that silver lining to the person receiving the message um or if if they will see it like that because not everybody sees things the same way and so just potentially how they might react, it makes me really anxious, mm-hmm. their reaction, because that's the unknown, right? That's something I have zero control over. Yeah. And that's what makes it very, that is what makes it a difficult conversation for me is because I cannot control the other person's um, reaction to it. And and also it's, yeah, like I, I, I don't want to upset a person, right? You don't want to, be the reason that they feel negative. I just feel like I'm having like a aha moment because what you said, Emily, about how difficult conversations can help you draw boundaries. I think you're helping yourself and the person you're speaking with have boundaries. And you think of that as, right, we're only thinking about the difficult conversation and what's happening in that moment. But 
for me personally, losing sight of the outcome of what we, what it can deliver. It's like right of the sense of relief, but also a boundary that will help that relationship move forward. And I've never thought of it that way. Mm -hmm. Well, and I also think it makes a lot of sense, right? If you're setting a boundary, like sometimes a difficult conversation might not actually require you to sounds terrible, but like care about that relationship and feel like you need to invest in that relationship. But rather you're setting a boundary and saying like, for me to continue working here, like I feel that I should be paid more or for me to do X, Y, or Z. Like, I feel like this is really important for my personal growth. And like, you're kind of setting that boundary or even just saying like, I'm feeling X, Y, or Z. And here's the, here's what I want to see change, or here's what might be a possible solution for us to move forward. And that's, that's just, I guess, general boundary setting, would you say? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think boundaries are identifying and communicating what you're willing to tolerate and not tolerate, like what your limits are. And that can be a difficult conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's funny. I was going back and forth of like, well, do you really have to bring emotion into the conversation about work? But thinking about this from somebody who's receiving the news or um, even just, you know, the, I forget who wrote like the radical candor where it says Mm to, um, I think, care deeply and challenge directly It is, And when I'm receiving news or difficult conversations, if I know that that person cares about me or they have their best, my best interest in mind, it's a lot easier for me to accept that and that feedback versus somebody who's just completely emotionless and not kind of showing how this is that they're doing this from coming from a place of caring versus yeah you know just being like obnoxious or aggressive right um i don't think it has to be like a distressing or uncomfortable emotion that you're expressing yeah um and i think I don't know. It's my own personal opinion, but I think the workplace, I don't care how corporate you are. Um, I don't really want to work for a company where the emotions taken out. Right. That that feels cold and sterile and unwelcoming to me personally. Mm -hmm. Other people are comfortable with that because Mm -hmm. they don't like emotions. Um, But I, or they're uncomfortable with expressing them is really the, the accurate way to say it. Um, but for me, being able to express emotions with someone says a lot. It says that you feel heard and respected. Um, you feel like they will listen to you. Um, and obviously there are times when this doesn't happen. A lot of times when difficult conversations happen, the response isn't great. I think at least for the first time you're having a difficult conversation with someone You want to um, be able to feel safe enough to express what's going on for you and what your thoughts are. And then after their response that time, you can then figure out, okay, um, I don't know if I am going to be emotionally safe with this person moving forward. So now this is going to look different. So Emily, will you walk us through the framework? I love a framework. Yes. (laughs) So I think for the the preparation of the difficult conversation, you really have to tune in 
to your body, tune into your mind, like just observing and noticing what's going on with you. Like what thoughts are you having? What feelings are you having? You have to connect with yourself. Um, because if you don't know what you're feeling, then why do you, what's the conversation for? So I think you have to be able to tune in and then really identify like what your needs are. Like, what do I need from this conversation? Like, what's the intention of this conversation? Um, Because I guess if you are like firing or letting someone go, like your needs aren't really, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if your needs are going to be the ones being expressed at that time. I don't know if that's a conversation um, where that's going to be had, but I think like you at least need to know the intention for having the conversation. Like why is this conversation being had? Um, Does it ever stop there where you maybe realize like as somebody who's in their head a lot that like maybe your feelings are like not valid or that you kind of like maybe you got really worked up about something and then you realize that there's it's just something that you can just let go yeah I think I think having a difficult conversation includes taking that time after you have like the reaction Mm. I think if you were to just say something right away that's more of a reaction than it is a difficult conversation. Yeah. It might turn into a really difficult conversation if you do it then. (laughs) But I think that's the piece of like really tuning in. Hopefully at that point, you have kind of had the peak reaction. Mm. Um, And for for work, it's probably a pretty internal reaction a lot of the time because you can't. Oh, yeah outwardly express it. So you have to also identify like what you're feeling in your body because anxiety for me feels like nausea or butterflies in my stomach. So that's a sign of something. So I think tuning in um, will help with that. It's hard. It's hard, but I don't think reacting is being vulnerable. Yeah. As you were saying that Emily, I, it also reminded me of something that, that John said that, you know, I might have a tendency to do being strategic is I would have gone through all the different options and kind of like lived them out. I feel like Dr. Strange in Marvel, you know, like how he can see all the possibilities of the future. Um, (laughs) And I would have played that out in my head and I would have, you know, thought about it and thought about it and thought about it for like probably a week. And then, yeah. you know, not maybe even communicate that properly or it doesn't come out in the conversation. It might end up coming out like being blunt because I've had this one week to think about it. But when I'm communicating it and not keeping in mind that that's the first time that person yeah. has had to hear what I'm trying to say. Right. Yeah. And when you were describing your like thought process, you were saying that you can kind of see all the different ways that it can go. And I think that that can also be like in counseling, we would call that catastrophizing. Oh. Mm-hmm. So again, you can go to the extreme with it. 
Um, because catastrophizing, you, first of all, we don't know how someone's going to respond yeah. ever. Um, and so by thinking of all the possible scenarios, we're now getting ourselves riled up and elevated because we're like, well, if this happens and I'm going to be like this and you, they're yeah, going yeah. like to And then we're trying to prove why it's going to go some way when it very well may not go that way. Um, and so then really what we did was just like trigger ourselves and now we're really anxious. And so if you're someone who tends to do that, I think you have to first be aware of it, but then also like distract yourself because you're, you're now just in a rabbit hole. Well, it's funny, Cheyenne, I do the same thing. So I'll have the conversation before I have it with another person and the scenarios that I come up with are usually much worse of an outcome. Yeah. <laughs> so that would be catastrophizing. And I'm totally. very guilty of that. Um, I call it more like fantasticalizing. Like I go to like <laughs> the fantasy of it all, or like I predict all of the possible outcomes. So catastrophizing actually though feels a little bit more accurate, but I, I feel you there. Cause I think that's a natural tendency of us strategic thinkers. Yeah. Well, also, I feel like it, with the advice that you shared in terms of preparing, you're saying think about what the intentions are. And that also, I feel like we're going back to John's conversation again of like focusing on intentions versus expectations, because it sounds like expectations mm. leads to catastrophizing and disappointment. Yes. So thinking relatable. About <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I. I struggle with that, so I can't really say much. <laughs> I think it's part of being human, too. Yeah. Um, but thinking about some of these difficult conversations that we might find ourselves in, what might be some tips you have to support yourself or for us to support ourselves when we're having those difficult conversations? Great question. Thank you. Um, I think... Number one, be assertive because people are going to pick up on your energy. And if you go into it and you're like, uh, hey, Bob, can I see you in the break room, please? He's going to be like, what? What is going on? And then it's going to feel really weird and they're going to pick up on your hesitancy. Um, you don't you don't want to take out the emotion. You don't want to be cold. You just want to be assertive and just communicate that you're confident in why you're having this conversation in the boundary mm -hmm. that you're setting and what you're communicating. Like you want it to come across that. No, I, this is how I feel about this. This is something that I, I'm asking for something that I need more of. Um, Cause yeah, we pick up on that energy and that that's also when it gets, even more awkward and uncomfortable is now everyone's like jumping around awkward, like <laughs> beating around the bush. Um, What's well, interesting. And when you're saying the be assertive, the first image that popped into my mind, I don't know if you guys have seen it like going around Instagram or Twitter is it's the, the audio clip of a Rihanna or Rihanna interview where <laughs> she was asked the question of like, what do you do if you're having a totally terrible day? And like, you have to go and, go to work or whatever, like you have to get to be productive. And she's like, I just fake it. I just show up <laughs> and I fake it. She's like, the tears are not worth the puffy face that I'll have the next day. Save your tears and just fake it until 
you kind of push yourself to that point. And like the being assertive in that situation, I know for me, if I have to have a difficult conversation with somebody and I need to be the one to bring it up, like I'm not going to feel very assertive. Like I, and maybe some of this preparation you're recommending here is really useful for that. But I think to a certain extent, you kind of have to fake it. You kind of have to, you know, do your Superman pose. You have to get into that mindset and kind of fake it a little bit until you get into the flow of the conversation when you can really be more assertive authentically. This has been already really enlightening for me because how I'm looking at this now is too that these difficult conversations are helpful for yourself, but also the other person. Like if there's somebody on your team, say, that you need to give feedback on because, you know, they're, they need to work on something or like something just feels off. If you don't tell them, like you can be hurting them and like limiting their success if they're not mm-hmm. aware of it. And that gets to like the opposite of versus being like, I think in like radical candor, they talk about like obnoxious aggressors of being like a nice culture where you're actually hurting people and, uh, you know, limiting them from growing because you're not giving them the opportunity to mm-hmm. like, you're not creating the opportunities for them to learn where they could improve. You're rescuing them. Yeah. Um, you're rescuing them and taking away their opportunity to learn, like you were just saying. Um, and that's something that we talk a lot about in counseling as well. Um, say more. I'm curious. Yes. Say so, more. Like a lot of times, parent-child dynamic. The parent mm-hmm. rescues the child. The parent rescues them in the sense of um, the child's 30 and the parents are still paying bills or um, the entire time the kid was growing up, um, the parents would call the parents of the other kids and stand up for the, Oh yeah. The kid, when that was a great opportunity for them to learn how to stand up for themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, It even goes down to like, if you're in group therapy and someone is crying you handing them the tissue box could be seen as you rescuing them because they need to be able to learn how to ask for what they need. I mean, I think that one's dream, but yeah, rescuing is just, um, doing too much for the other person. Like, yeah. Over goodness. Taking, (laughs) taking care of someone too much. Mind blown. And I, you know, for, that's exactly what could happen when you're empathetic, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why like narcissists and people who struggle with their ego love to feed off of empathetic people. Like they can spot mm. that. Empaths are empathetic because they've had to um, kind of like sense things out and um, – read the signs, like read the energy. Um, is mom slamming the cupboards? Is mom, I don't know, whatever. Like mom gets home and starts yelling. Like the kids are starting to sense that and pick up on it. So empath really means like you just learned how to sense other people really well, which was a protection, like a defense mechanism. So I think a lot of times we talk about the really great qualities of empaths, but also remember like 
how you became empathetic. Mm-hmm. You had to read people without them communicating. Resonates. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like a sixth sense. It kind of is. <laughs> well, and I think too, there's intuition, which is another thing, but you know, that's, that is something that we've talked about before is how you became like, not you specifically, but how people become empaths, how people are able to read other people's emotions or assume other people's emotions based on their behaviors, because that's something they felt they've had to do to survive or to be safe or to find their safety. Um, It's really kind of flips the script a little bit. Do you have some other tips that you'd like to share with us? When having that conversation, I would just say as little words as possible. Um, Just be very clear and concise. Otherwise, you're going to talk in circles and then you're going to feel uncomfortable and start saying stuff because you feel uncomfortable and then you might not be actually thinking about what you're saying and then it turns into this conversation that kind of like took a different turn because of just how awkward and uncomfortable it was. Does that make sense? So like using less words helps the message stay as clear and true as possible. Um, And then I think, I think this one is more for personal relationships because I think sometimes for work you have to keep the facts of the situation in the difficult conversation Um, but for personal conversations um, it really shouldn't be about the facts of the situation so it really shouldn't be about hey you didn't um, unload the dishwasher last night when you said you would you did it five days later Um, Now you're going to argue over what day the dishwasher was actually emptied. um, And now you're just distracted when really the conversation, the intention was probably, I feel um, like I'm carrying more of the weight um, when there's the dishwasher isn't emptied. And I, I feel like I've done that for the past week. Um, I'm, you know, like it's, it's more about what's underneath it, but we can get lost in the facts. Um, and then we're just like trying to point out the inconsistencies or the, the wrong thing. Um, they're saying, you know, like we're focusing on the wrong where really you want them to just, you know, help like, you know, pitch in more because you're feeling overwhelmed. And yeah. so if you focus on the dishwasher, you're lose they're losing sight of what you really want them to do, which is to help you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think um, people who are out of touch with their emotions, they might not even know what they're feeling underneath the dishwasher mm. not being emptied. So in their head, they're like, no, it's just the dishwasher. It's never empty. <laughs> no. <laughs> Yikes, that's a problem. If you're that upset about a dishwasher, um, I think that there's another message. So mm-hmm. that also involves the person like being willing to feel what's underneath the surface. Which is where they have to tune in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So what about like, right, you say 
you know, we're, we've done our prep, but then to the point that this person is just receiving the news. So like they're, and if you're on the receiving end, like you might be in more of like the reaction mode. So like, do you have any tips for people that are on the receiving end of the difficult conversation? Yes. Um, and just one more thing I wanted to add yeah. for the the person having the difficult conversation, starting that off, I wanted to share just like a, a little formula that I use yes. with my clients because, again, we like to um, use too many words a lot of the times. <laughs> so um, the this is how I would just start it off. Um, I would start with I feel and then insert the emotion when list the specific event or the experience and I would appreciate and then talk about the change that you want to see occur. Um, because starting without that I statement, I know that that's annoying and cheesy and everyone's like, oh, I statements. But really, if you don't start it with the I statement, they're immediately on the defense and not listening mm. from an accurate, like from a, a logical and a little bit emotional headspace. Um, they're not listening from their wise mind. They're listening just from their reactionary mind. Mm -hmm. So that's really why we want to include the, the feeling. We're not trying to, um, we're not trying to be too emotional or too much or whatever that negative belief is really we're inserting that emotion so that they can understand why this is even happening and, and, the importance of the change. Mm -hmm. um, if they care about you or care about the business or um, care about their coworkers, whatever the situation may be, then that feeling piece is going to be really important. Um, so that's the last little tip. Um, yeah, but for the receiver, in an ideal world, you just like sit and listen the whole time and you don't <laughs> say anything, but that's really hard. Um, yeah. Especially if you've never done that, that's probably not going to happen on the first time or the first like 15 times, honestly, um, because all of a sudden you're going to get like a little alarm system going off and want to defend yourself and stand up for yourself and, and, say, no, that that's not my intention. That's not what I did. Um, but then that can just escalate everything. So really you want to be working towards being able to just sit and actively listen. Um, if it's a, a work or business conversation, um, that may even be a good time to just like take a few notes of what the person is saying, like really, attentively listening because if the person speaking to you doesn't feel like you're hearing them yeah then that's also another trigger and these are all those little turns that we can get lost in when we really just want to stay on that main path in this conversation um so i think yeah listening and then once they're done um talking um, again, this is all like ideally, it's really hard to do this, but asking them like, is it okay for me to respond or like, have you, is that everything that you'd like to say, um, so that they don't feel cut off. And then, um, you would want to 
kind of summarize what they said. Um, mm -hmm. So what you're saying is, and list off some of the, the little bullet points of what they were saying to you. Um, and then you can, you can respond. Um, but if you feel like you're too emotionally flooded, like you're too triggered or you're going to react, then it's okay to not respond in that conversation. It's okay to say, thank you so much for giving me this information. Um, I'd love to process this more and have a follow-up conversation about this. Um, because again, the reaction is going to right. make or break it. Um, and I think that's the uncomfortable piece. Everyone wants that instant gratification. So they're mm -hmm. like, let's do this now. But it's okay <laughs> to take a minute. Um, it's okay to let yourself ground. Yeah. I almost wonder too, as the person delivering the message, if you might say like, listen, I've, I've just delivered this to you. I, you might need some time to think about this mm -hmm. and what I shared. That's okay. Um, and see what they, yeah. And I say. think, or, or is that a rescue moment? Cause now I'm oh. obsessed with thinking. <laughs> yeah. Oh like, no. Are we <laughs> That's a great question. Well, you're not taking away the opportunity. Mm. You're not, you're not like, um, they still have to have that conversation. Like they still have to follow up with you. Right. Cause you're not Res answering for them. Yeah. You're just well, giving them some time. You wouldn't even have the conversation. Mm, you just fix it. Yeah. You just either or sweep it under the rug, have resentments for the rest of your life. <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, that's a, that's, that is confusing. Cheyenne, like, now trying to differentiate what's rescuing, what's catastrophizing, what's <laughs> all of these things. Um, but that conversation still has to be had. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I just, yeah. go ahead. I'm just thinking, I wonder if you, as long as you make sure like that there has to be a conclusion to the conversation, like let's maybe like, let me know when you're, if you like, when you're ready to respond or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think. Or you just say, say it now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think first of all, being the person having the conversation, it'd probably be smart to see if that was an okay time to have the conversation. Mm. Cause if they're about to head out to work or to a dinner and you're laying this on them, it's probably not the best time. Um, yeah. so we do want to be considerate of when they're available emotionally and mentally, mentally and physically for that conversation. Um, but I think with like the follow-up, um, I think for some people it can take like five minutes. It can take 15 minutes. I, I think it's okay to go like overnight without talking about it. I think mm -hmm. that a lot of times in society, we have been brainwashed that we need to go to bed in love and happy and no fights ever. Um, but then you just stay up till 6 a.m. going in circles and you didn't sleep and have to work now. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, I think like, I, I don't know that it needs to be longer than 24 hours is really what I'm saying. Like 
I think there should at least be some sort of a follow-up because that just sounds a bit. Then it's weird. Yeah. Awkward. Yeah. (laughs) It's way more awkward now. (laughs) So now that we've got this newfound insight, right. And, and learned a little bit of some of the tips or the tricks on how we best approach Uh, and prep for a difficult conversation? How do you support yourself in that conversation? And then handling the response either way. Let's get into it and talk a little bit about an example of a difficult conversation coming up and how we might approach it. Yeah. So I guess where I'm at at the moment is still trying to figure out if it's a difficult conversation that I should be having in the Mm. first place. Um, so uh, three years ago, um, I had a very close friend and his wife um, tell me that they they were looking for a place to rent. They had just gotten married. Um, and at that time, I had an apartment um, that was available and I had intended to rent it out. And so I said, well, I've got an apartment available and, you know, you can make it your own and I'd be happy to have you there. And they were really grateful. And unfortunately for them, because they were working in the entertainment industry and mm-hmm. events industry that got impacted then by COVID, um, their entire livelihood basically went away, right, when we went into lockdown. And we, we being myself and Tom, uh, we understood as they had zero income coming in, we said, okay, let's, you know, revisit this in a couple months. Because, you know, at that time, we all thought that COVID was going to be like a two, three month thing and then go yeah. away, right? And in the meantime, also, Tom had spoken to me about how he felt, um, you know, with, with no rent coming in. Mm. Uh, which was what he had expected from a financial planning perspective. Mm. Uh, We had a conversation about maybe, you know, they need to think about a more long-term solution that they'd be able to afford because realistically Mm. speaking, we don't know how long COVID's going to take. Like it's been three to four months. And if this is not the right fit of a expense, like the, they don't need a place so big or they don't need an expense so big. It was income that we were also depending on. Right. Um, I had that conversation with my friend at the time. And the way that I approached it was as advice for him to rethink, right, all the expenses that he currently has and whether he should right size his expenses so that he would feel less stress from having a cut in income mm-hmm. due to COVID. Useful and productive conversation. He went back and spoke to his wife and they decided like, no, they they wanted to say it was an expense that they were prepared to have. So my side with Tom, we decided that, you know, look, we were looking at how many people dying every day mm-hmm. um, and, and all of that. And if there was anything that we could do to help, we would help. So we decided to reduce the rent by 75% wow. um, and say, don't worry about it for the rest of the year. You know, just just enough to keep up like the 
the like uh, utility bills and, and things mm-hmm. like that, right? So then rest of 2020 went off with, you know, without a hitch. Rent was always late. And it got to a point where I was feeling embarrassed with mm-hmm. Tom. I'll I'll take it on me. This is my relationship, my friendship. I don't want Tom to have a negative perception of my mm. friend. And then it yeah, it just got to a point where the the rent wasn't coming in mm. at wow. all. And we then obviously got the news that we were both losing our jobs uh, mm. almost like at the oh, same time. Stressful. Yeah. And we had just had Sophie, so we had to rethink mm. this whole um, financial situation, we, deci- we decided to eventually sell the apartment. Mm. So, you know, that at that time, uh, my friends knew about the job situation that I had just heard and Tom had just heard and we were both looking for a new job. So they were aware of the financial situation. So w- when I told them that we had decided to sell the apartment, they were surprised but didn't have any significant or remarkable reaction to it and so you know we told them that totally get they're gonna need to find a place to live and that's going to take some time we don't want them to feel really rushed into it so we told them basically three months before uh, we had to hand the apartment over to to uh, the buyer in that time the relationship totally changed like they started Mm. avoiding me they were not paying rent at all, mm. you know, and they asked us to be their daughter's godparents. Oh, and so geez. this coincided with the time that my, um, that it was going to be her first birthday. And I was thinking about, you know, presents to buy and things. And I was asking them, you know, do you want me to deliver it like to the apartment and so you can take it with you when you move or is it easier if I send it to the new place that you're going to like let me have the address or you know if you guys want to come over once you're all settled and moved in and you know they they were kind of holding me off saying like oh yeah you know we'll let you know once we're settled in and things but never followed up on it and I this kept happening and so for me like it isn't even about the money right it it's not I was obviously feeling very hurt, surprised, because I wouldn't expect it from a close mm-hmm. friend whom I've known and supported through depression. And, you know, mm-hmm. the, this friend had written a book because he he really liked ghost hunting. He had written a book about his <laughs> ghost hunting adventures, oh, which cool. he dedicated to me. You know, there oh, was that wow. kind of a relationship. So nice. I didn't know what to do. You know, eventually I, I had to take myself out of the equation and I told Tom to take the lead on communicating with him about this because it was just too much mm-hmm. for me. Um, I could not remain in that headspace. And the thing is, like, every time I think about it, like, I'm back there. So mm-hmm. I don't know whether it is worth having a conversation to share how I'm feeling. But, right, when when Emily was talking about sort of preparing and understanding what you want to come out of that conversation, the intention, right? Like, what do you need from this? Mm-hmm. I don't know what I need from this. Are you open to hear what I... Yes, think? yes, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> I think your, what you would be gaining from having that conversation by standing on your truth and on your ground would be 
to show yourself that you're worth communicating your hurt to people that were very close to you. I mean, these are people that you had a really close friendship with. And from even just a little bit of time that I've spent with you, I can tell how much you value your relationships with people. And so I think it would be the intention behind this conversation would be to prove and show yourself that um, you deserve more respect and more love in your friendships and in your relationships um, because you had just given so much to them and to not speak your truth is communicating a message to yourself that you're not worthy of that. And so I think we can have conversations for meeting our own needs. Right. For me, I want to be able to sort of say my piece, but because I was thinking that there is absolutely zero way that I would ever want to continue a relationship yeah. with this person, whether it was then worth it, right? Mm -hmm. Because what am I trying to do? Am I trying to fix this? Well, no, because the trust is broken and I I would never be able to have a relationship with this person again is, is I think where I'm mentally at. So therefore, do I even bother mm -hmm. <laughs> like with that conversation that gives me anxiety, right? Because um, I, I'm not great at these difficult conversations. So like, do I even want to put myself through that for, for right. what? Right. And I know I totally get that. And I think this could be that, that change in your relationship dynamics. Like this could be the moment where now your friendships and your relationships take another, like go to another level um, because you're changing the cycle. Does that resonate? It totally does. And I feel like I, I need to go back and see what that means for me. And I part of me was even evaluating, like, what's going to be harder work having this conversation or just working within myself, which is the only thing that I can control and just letting go. But I, it's been over a year now and I have not been able to let go. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering whether I need to have the conversation in order to let go. If the intention isn't to hear their response, then like, it, not that that's the only intention, but like if you're mm -hmm. going in it to speak your truth and not necessarily to hear something from them to get closure, mm -hmm. then I think it's, it is worth having. Like, I think you can even, you could even just write a letter and mail it because it's mm. about you speaking your truth and you showing up for yourself. It's not about, I need to hear this thing from them so that I can move forward. So, oh my God, that's such a, I'd never thought about just writing a letter. Mm. Yeah. This is pretty cool. <laughs> I feel like you're going to laugh at me. Wow. No, but seriously though, like it's, I'm really glad that, that we made this happen and you could come on here because I think these types of tips and ways to look at things and 
being so in touch with the intention of what you're hoping to accomplish can really help to lead to the right outcome for you. This was great. Thank you so much, Emily. And thank you, yeah, Diane, we're... for sharing your story. Yeah. That is, I mean, such a great example. Because the truth of these situations is that they're often not super cut and dry. Mm -mm. There's a lot that goes into them and there's a lot that we carry as people. And so just to be able to, to kind of reframe some of that or, or really identify what is that core emotion that I'm feeling and what's the best outcome for me and how can I bring that to life, I think can totally be applied in, in all types of conversations. Mm, this was really nice. Yeah, I mean, honestly, you guys, between uh, all our conversations, <laughs> and you know, the obviously the one with John, uh, helping Tom in in my marriage, and this yeah. helping me, I've gotten so much out of this podcast. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I really hope that our listeners, you know, will find some ways to relate and mm -hmm. and be able to take back some of the things that we've learned and how we've grown and and apply it in their lives as well definitely last thing that comes to mind yeah um cheyenne i don't know anything about your childhood however speaking your truth and doing it for you and for meeting your needs um that is one last counseling term reparenting so it's it's meeting or it's um, giving yourself your needs, like providing for yourself um, the needs that you had when you were a kid that weren't met. Um, you're now meeting them for yourself. So my guess is at some point um, in childhood, you didn't feel like you were heard or that what you had to say was important enough to be heard. Um, and so now this is a great opportunity for you to meet those needs. And by having this, writing this letter, like having this conversation, whatever you want to do, you're not just meeting this specific need. You're meeting the needs from like a whole, they're all linked from that experience to other experiences where you felt the same thing in your life. You're meeting that those needs. Does that make Whoa. sense? Okay. <laughs> That makes so much sense. And I, I, this is slightly freaky, but, and you wouldn't know this obviously, but uh, ladies, do you remember when we, I think it was either episode one or two, and it didn't make it onto the podcast, mm -hmm. but it, it was just us and our like two, three hour long conversation <laughs> where we were just musing. Oh, that was great. Yeah. 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 And do you remember like how when I said, oh, I'm so grateful to, sort of be part of this with the both of you because I've always been inspired and admired um, the way, the, the you know, the things that you had to say um, and if the, the fact that I'm able to do this with you like gives me a, a voice that mm -hmm. I, cause I, I, I've always felt like, oh, whatever I had to say was not important. Mm -hmm. or it just wasn't valuable enough to to share like nobody would want to hear it mm -hmm. so that's so funny that you should say that Emily you know about mm -hmm. probably not feeling heard when I was younger and I think there's so much truth in that mm -hmm. um so this this is absolutely something that you know I'll be 
mulling about mm-hmm. at least in the next week and yeah. seeing what I want to do about it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think even just having this conversation is meeting some of those needs because having this conversation, you are communicating that you deserve more and that you deserve to be able to feel safe enough to express this. So I think that that already shows that you are meeting those needs. So whichever decision you make, just know that. Awesome, mind blown. Oh my gosh. Jane, you are so smart and I hang off of every word that you say. So I think it's such a gift to like have you on this podcast with us because you bring such a great perspective and you've been so vulnerable too and and sharing some of the things that you've been working mm-hmm. on. Um, so it's, it's mm-hmm. truly a gift. And oh, we would not make be cry. what we are without you. Seriously. No. Well, Emily, this has certainly been a treat. <laughs> it's not every day that you get to chat with your sister about fun topics and learn a little bit about yourself. So thank you for being with us. Thank you for sharing all of your wisdom and what you've learned in your experience of being a counselor and being someone who leans into their empathy for success um, in life. So where can people find you? My Instagram. <laughs> actually your instagram is really awesome so seriously if people are looking for ways to dive into other topics beyond difficult conversations you bring up some really interesting topics and create diagrams that really are useful in unpacking some of the more challenging things you might approach in therapy or just even ponder in life um but what is your instagram my instagram is e spring counseling and spell our last name for everybody e S-P-R-A-N-G, like I sprang in the air. Mm-hmm. Past tense of spring. Um, and <laughs> in my bio is my website with all my information for sessions and other offerings. Amazing. And if I you are that. in Bye. the state of Tennessee, she can um, do telehealth. So keep that in mind for any listeners who might be looking for someone to help them explore areas of opportunity in their own lives. I may just need to move to Tennessee. Come on over. Come on down, (laughs) girlfriend. (laughs) Join us. Thank you so much. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Ew, also known as Empaths at Work. We want you to engage in the conversation. Leave us a voice message by clicking on the link in the episode description. Now for the fine print. The opinions expressed in these podcasts are our personal opinions and don't necessarily reflect the views of any companies we are associated with as working women. That's all.